BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Friday, August 17th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date, our weekly recap of science in the news. I'm Indre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. All right. This week, I was shocked by something. And now, normally, I would say, oh, this is where I talk about the Parker Solar Probe and how amazing that is. But something else really kind of blew my mind this week. And it was in a legal court. So here in San Francisco, a lawsuit was filed by a groundskeeper at a local school against Monsanto because he claims that he contracted cancer as a result of being exposed to their herbicide Roundup, which is the most widely used herbicide in the world. And he said over the course of using this weed killer in in the course of his job and having a couple accidents, uh, that he was exposed to enough Roundup and in conjunction with how that interacted with a bunch of other chemicals in the Roundup itself, not just the active ingredient, that he contracted cancer. This uh, story is very sad in the sense that um, he is, uh, they accelerated the trial because he has terminal cancer. And so he will be passing soon. And so the judge, the jury found in favor of the groundskeeper and awarded $290 million in damages. And why I'm bringing this up on a science show is, is that there is a lot of hand-wringing about how the jury came to this conclusion because the science says they might have come to the wrong conclusion here. Yeah, I mean, I thought that there was already, you know, a pretty pretty growing body of evidence, pretty large body of evidence that Roundup is comparatively safe. Yeah, so there's three essential big studies that have been done and a bunch of smaller ones. Roundup has been pretty heavily studied. And the active ingredient in Roundup that gets often studied is glyphosate. And so uh, there's been some small animal studies that have been done. Most of them, what they've seen, like most of the concerning ones have shown at a very high dosage. And I mean, like the equivalent of us eating like 30 kilograms of this stuff. Like, so like bathing in it. We saw some rats develop some uh, adenomas in their kidneys. But we're not sure if it's causal or if it, there are other factors at play. But because there's been a few animal studies in mice that shot, that saw that, the WHO released a report saying that Roundup probably causes cancer. This is sort of like their, their safest conservative way of saying, and eh, there's something here, but we don't have a strong link. 
but the dosage is really important, right? I mean, that was exactly what you know is what I've ever heard. There, there, you know, I, I am. I would imagine drinking coffee will cause cancer at some point if you drink enough of it. Um, but you know, you'd probably you'd probably have a heart attack from being over caffeinated before that happens. Um, I mean, I don't know. This is that's just an example I'm using off the top of my head. But I I certainly have heard also people talk about glyphosate in the past uh, and its use in vaccines and claiming that that's one of the things that makes vaccines unsafe. But again, if you look at the amount of the product that's in a vaccine, um, it's well, well, well below what the EPA or other agencies consider to be a safe level. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, what we're talking about is study design here. And so we can kind of tease apart the dosage, but they're trying to prove something that's incredibly hard to prove. And so when you have a limited number of of mice, you are going to tend to give them a higher dose. That's usually how a lot of these studies are done to try to establish causal link and then work your way backwards from here. There's just no clear evidence there. And then the meta-analysis that other groups have done, including European regulators, of larger epidemiology studies that that have been looking at people that are actually using these um, uh, uh, this herbicide in realistic conditions has found no link whatsoever. So, I mean, what do you do here? It, it, the evidence seems to say that there's no strong link. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's uh, I understand why people feel like it might uh, cause cancer because Monsanto has a murky past in terms of being transparent about uh, health risks of some of their uh, of their products, and that, that's been proven out in a number of, of legal filings. But this seems to run contrary to what the evidence says. And so this is one where I feel very conflicted. How do you feel about this ruling? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I... I wasn't in the room when the prosecution and the defense were presenting their evidence. So I don't know, you know, how compelling it seemed uh, to the jurors. It makes me wonder if uh, San Francisco is a place where, you know, we have, uh, you know, a larger population of individuals who are skeptical of GMOs and of, you know, other kinds of interventions like that, that, you know, maybe that it was it was an easier place for this ruling to come down in favor of the um, plaintiff. But I also don't know anything about his cancer and whether, you know, what what other potential causes we can look at that may have been bigger risk factors uh, for him, you know. So I think that, I, you know, I feel like I don't have enough information to have an informed opinion about it, but it was very surprising. Yeah. And I'll just say to to conclude, you know, I, I wasn't in that uh, in the proceedings either. So, and in a way, we'll never know. We'll never know what the jury was deliberating and, and where their minds were. One interesting fact that did emerge is that at least four of the jurors do have scientific training in their backgrounds. So this isn't the uh, probably that situation where the jurors didn't know how to deal with the information. They had expertise there as well. And by all indications, they really delved deep into uh, some of the studies and evidence that was being presented. Uh, But at surface, it's a really strange decision. We all know what's going to happen next, though. It's going to go to appeal. And sadly, the groundskeeper is probably going to pass before it uh, the appeals uh, filing is is heard. But this could portend many more lawsuits coming down the line related to Roundup. And maybe some uh, films eventually. (laughs) It seems like a lot of these big cases do turn out to be uh, great fodder for documentary-style filmmaking. So we'll see. I guess we'll learn more in the future. 
When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and an award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. And it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com. So do you remember the old uh, Solomon Ash study where people were looking at lines of different lengths and you're in a room full of people and you think that everyone is uh, a participant in the experiment, but it turns out that you're the only participant and everyone else is a confederate? <laughs> And they look at the lines and, 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 you know, the experimenter asks you which of these two lines are the same length. And, you know, it's pretty obvious which two match, but then everybody else in the room says the wrong answer and you start to wonder whether you're seeing things. Remember oh, that it's study? A, a classic peer pressure type study. <laughs> yes. It's one of the first studies to, sh- to, sh- to show that social interactions or, 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 you know, the social context can influence your perception and even your memory of that perception. So it's not like people were necessarily aware that they were conforming to the group. Uh, a lot of times they just thought that, in fact, the group was right. And, you know, they, they then saw the lines as being um, the same when, in fact, they were different. So it's been, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a long time uh, study of interest for people who are interested in social conformity. It also, you know, has had a lot of critics, people saying, you know, the the sort of way in which it's it's uh, conducted is really important. And, you know, there have been some failures to replicate and so on. But recently they did a similar experiment where instead of just having humans be the Confederates, they also included robots. <laughs> so now if you're in a room full of robots and the robot started saying that, you know, those two lines that don't look the same to you are actually the same, would you be more or less likely to conform? All right. So I think two ways about this. One, um, my first reaction is robots don't lie. Like they don't have a capacity to lie. <laughs> so why would they be lying to me? Uh, the other is, uh, why would I trust a robot? Because I, because it's a... <laughs> robot right like i have no relationship to it i feel like on totally different ends of the spectrum equally okay (laughs) okay well when the robot revolution comes remind me not to align myself with whatever it is that you are doing um but it turns out that most adults actually uh don't conform to the robots as much as they do to their human counterparts probably for the some of the same reasons that you're that you're talking about that you know we don't trust robots. Robots are programmed by human beings and we know that they are just responding to programs and, you know, you can program a robot to do anything you want, pretty much. Uh, the problem that I think is is one that society is facing now is that young children are actually significantly more likely than adults to be influenced by these robots, according to a study that was conducted at the University of Plymouth and published in Science Robotics. So, um, 
when the children were just alone in the room, uh, they scored about 87% correct. So they could tell the difference between, you know, which lines were the same, and which lines were not. But when robots join <laughs> into, you know, in, come into the room and, you know, have an, uh, give an erroneous answer, all of a sudden the kids are right only 75% of the time. And uh, out of the wrong answers, most of them matched those of the robot. So all of a sudden, it seems like these kids are, are responding as if the robot is influencing their decision making, um, which is slightly frightening. Yeah, they just are growing in a robot native world. So why yeah. wouldn't they trust them? <laughs> and of course, the robots look very cute. Uh, they look very humanoid. And so I can imagine that, you know, kids would see them as much more, you know, sort of like their peers uh, than adults would. Uh, but it might might portend, you know, there, there's a there's a there's a generation effect here, too. You know, the question is whether digital natives, you know, kids who are born with technology in their hands um, would have the same reaction as digital immigrants, people like you and me who remember a time uh, when when we didn't have smartphones all the time. And, you know, so it's this kind of like, you know, we have to look further into the future to see whether this shifts when they become adults. Uh, is it just a child effect, child versus adult, or is it actually, you know, the, the um, environment in which they were growing up? So follow-up study hopefully will be done at some point. So that's it for this week's Up to Date. What do we have coming up next week? Well, I have an interview with someone that I think is really inspiring and like in, in some ways matches many of the things that uh, I have sort of experience in my life. She's a pianist by training who uh, went on to become a writer. And at, you know, a sort of pivotal point in her life, she had a leak of cerebrospinal fluid from her brain. And it caused her to have all kinds of cognitive problems. It took a long time for it to be diagnosed. And then eventually, as she was rehabilitating, she used her piano training skills to enhance the rehabilitation efforts. Her name is Andy Buchanan, and it's a really interesting story. I can't wait to share it with you. We can all look forward to that on Monday. See you next week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.